Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I am delighted to talk to Dr. Musharraf Hussein. You are most welcome, sir. Assalamu alaikum, Paul, and I'm delighted to be with you uh, today on blogging theology. Thank you. Uh, I think, you know, theology is a, a subject that uh, is now um, being put at the, uh, on, on the back burner in, in school curriculums, in, 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 yes. in, in universities, everywhere, sadly. Mm. Uh, and yet it is uh, one of the most fundamental uh, human sciences really is. Yeah, it used to be called in the West, in, in the Catholic, in Christendom, it used to be called the queen of the sciences. It wasn't just a science, it was the preeminent, predominant science. And that's no longer true in the West today, unfortunately. Um, for those who don't know uh, Dr. Hussein, I, I, I'll just e- explain that uh, Dr. Hussein came to Britain from Pakistan in 1966 with his parents. And he came to the Yorkshire town of Halifax, uh, where he memorized the Quran, learned Tajweed and basic Arabic. And after completing uh, a degree in biochemistry at Aston University, he went on to gain a science doctorate, I think, in, in biochemistry, a related biochemistry field. And he worked as a science a scientist until 1990 and then decided to dedicate himself to serving the Muslim community, which he's certainly done since, because in 2009 he was awarded an OBE that's by, from the, the Queen here in the UK for his services to community relations in Britain. And in 2019, he was awarded the Imam Wal Amal Special Award by the Muslim News for his new translation of the Quran. And today, Dr. Hussein will be uh, as kindly agreed to talk about uh, his new translation entitled The Majestic Quran. Here it is. Guidance and good news for the mindful. And, and Dr. Hussein kindly gifted me this copy when I met, when I met you recently, didn't I, in London uh, two weeks ago now, I think. So that's right. Yes. Uh, it's, it's a very, very interesting translation indeed. So can I just begin by asking, why did you think there was a need to produce uh, a new English version of the Quran? Yes, this is a, a question that I get asked often. Mm. Uh, and I, I think what we need to um, recognize is that um, languages are constantly changing um, and um, English is no exception. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Oxford Dictionary every year posts hundreds of new words, you know. So the language is metamorphosizing constantly. Uh, and same goes with the Quran translations. Um, you know, th- th- they really uh, have to move on uh, as, as languages change. And the Quran is actually dhikr, which means a reminder. 
Um, and, and reminder is, uh, in Arabic we call it nasiya, but reminder is very simply uh, that you already know this. There's nothing new in it. It's nothing. It's no philosophy. It's no new knowledge. You already have all that in it, in you. But what you need to be doing is prodded, perhaps uh, pricked, urged, prompted, uh, and prodded and told, oh, what, what, do you remember? You know, do you remember this? Uh, you know, your soul took an oath with the divine uh, long ago. Uh, and you also made an oath many, many times that I'm going to be a, a, a good person. And that's what the Quran is. It's a reminder. And this reminder obviously has to be in a language that we speak every day. It has, it has to be in everyday English. It cannot be in Shakespeare's English. That would be, I think, a great disservice both to the book and it will be really um, insulting the modern reader. Uh, and, and, and really not right. So I, I'm really very saddened to see that, you know, amongst the uh, Muslims, they still continue to publish some of the classical, amazingly good translations like Pickthalls and Abdullah Yusuf Ali. And I, I, I say those with whole heart that they were amazing people. They were good. But that's 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> English has now moved on. In, in time of Pickthall, uh, the, um, and of course, you know, you've got to remember for what reason did Pickthall, who, did, who was his audience in those days? Well, I'll tell you who it was. It was the elite of the uh, Indian uh, Muslims, you know, who, those who used to come here to, uh, to Oxford or Cambridge or to Lincoln Inn or, you know, elites. <laughs> and, and so for them, Shakespeare in English, and also not only that, but I think they were very influenced by biblical yes, uh, translations. Right. Yeah, and exactly. they wanted the, the to King replicate the King something James like that. Version. Yeah, the King James Version, of course, is, is seen as... Uh, well, it, it was beautiful was, English in its yeah, time. But yeah. of course now... Our young people do not read that language and don't appreciate it at all. And therefore, I think we have to do a simple, plain, everyday English, contemporary English. That is one of the biggest reasons. But there are some other reasons. Uh, for example, I really don't know how Muslims, particularly Pickthall and Abdullah Yusuf Ali, went down the route of versification. Right. Versification means that, you know, you separate each verse, 6,200-odd yeah. uh, verses of the Qur'an, you separate them and you present them as though they are poetry. I don't know where we got that notion. Uh, I, I, again, I think it's from Bible because Bible was presented in verses. I, I just showed so, you, this is the Abdul, uh, sorry, this is the Yusuf Ali translation. Yes. I don't know if there's a scene that you, so uh, what Dr. Hussein is pointing to here in the English translation here, you can see the, the verses uh, yes, uh, big um, line gaps between them, and that's like English. That's like English poetry because every beginning. Because right. I, I like English poetry, and if you look at um, classical English poetry, every line begins with a capital letter, and exactly as it does here, every line of yes. Yusuf English begins with a capital letter, just like in English classical poetry. But then well, when you Paul, your translation, uh, Paul, this is versification, yes, exactly. And then your translation, of course, the majestic Quran. There we go. Um, I don't know if it's possible to see this. You have. Paragraphs. Paragraphs. No, it's not, it's not um, line by line like in a poem, but like in a newspaper article or an article you might read online. So that's the difference. That yes. Talking. Well, thank you for explaining. But, you know, versification, I think, has been a big disservice, to be honest. Quran mm. is not a poetry. It is first and foremost the Quran. And the Quran says that, you know, a reminder. And we made the Quran easy to understand. So I don't know, you know, why we've gone down that route. So it's a narrative. 
It is a text. It is a nas. You know, it is kisses. It is stories. You know, it calls itself. You know, uh, you know. نَقُصُ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ We're going to tell you the most beautiful story. How do you write stories? It's, you've got to put it as a text narrative. So that's another very big reason that prompted me to actually go ahead with this because I have been teaching Quran for nearly 40 odd years and my students always said, um, where does the story begin? Oh, where does this section begin? Well, what is this about? What are they? You know, we don't know where it begins and ends. You know, you have these. So it was really important to help um, readers to know where a passage begins, where it ends. Uh, and by the way, I'm not the first one to do this. You know, in the 17th century, a group of scholars did what is known as the rokuz uh, yeah. in, in, in Quran. Rokuz are section, thematic sectioning. So these right. scholars in the 17th century, and this is how the Qur'ans published in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, they have a ruku in the margin. Right. They don't write it, they write it in the margin. So, for example, Surah Yusuf is divided into 12 sections, and each section is thematic. Amazing, to be honest. So yeah. that helped. Uh, there's 500. They divided the whole Qur'an into 500 sections yeah. based on themes. And I, I have obviously have done fifteen hundred sections. Each of the ruku is further divided into three. So really, it's it's um, and and I, I hope inshallah that really helps grips the attention, tells my reader where the topic is beginning, where it ends, so they can expect uh, what it is, and also they can begin to then see how oh, how does it link with the previous section, and how will it link with the. Mm. afterwards so pre and post sectioning yeah. helps i mean it's very very difficult to see uh bring up the camera here but the the uh the paragraphs uh, are headed by uh, sections here so there's one section here he reminds them of joseph and the next paragraph down has a section entitled the believer continues to preach uh, and th these are your helpful chapter headings or, or section headings rather yes. to the paragraph so um, i'm curious to know i mean i, I know from biblical translations you get the idea of uh, the translation philosophy. So, so some Bibles will talk about their translation philosophy being a, a paraphrase, like the New Living Translation, for example. Um, so it's not a literal translation. Then you get the NIV talking about dynamic equivalence. And then you get more literal translations, like the King James Version is quite literal, and, and perhaps the new, the new Revised Standard Version. And I don't want to kind of suggest that the, you can you simply see that the same for the Quran, but is there any way you can see any parallel? Is yours a more paraphrase or is it? Yeah, Paul, I, I think. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill overdraft fees are just the worst get up to 200 in fee-free overdraft with the chime checking account sign up today at chime.com goals 24 banking services and debit card provided by the bank corp bank na or stride bank na members fdic spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply you know the best way to describe this is when um uh, marmaduke pickthall Mm. presented his translation to the Sheikh al-Azhar in 1930. Um, remember, uh, Mahmoud Pikthol had been commissioned by the Nawab of Hyderabad 
and, uh, and, and Al-Azhar provided him one of the best professors they had to work with him for two years. They lived in Hyderabad, worked wow. on it. And then he came back to the Sheikh, uh, Sheikh Al-Azhar, uh, Marghinani, and said to him, here is my translation of the Quran in English. And the Sheikh immediately said, no, this is not translation. This is Tarjmatul Ma'ani. This is the interpretation, interpretation of the meanings of the Qur'an. Right, right, yeah. Now, I think that really underlies the philosophy of all Qur'an translators yep. because, you know, we believe that the Arabic is the, the divine word. You know, so when we say, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ أَلِفْ لَا now those are, we believe, alhamdulillah, they are divine words. Allah's words. And we can't actually translate those into any language whatsoever. However, we can present an interpretation of them. Uh, yeah. We can present uh, what they mean uh, in the light of what the Quran itself teaches in the light of what the Prophet ﷺ interpreted it in the way the Sahaba, the Tabi'een, the Salaf Salihin, and the great teachers of Islam have. So, so really, it is trying to interpret. It is interpreting. So uh, you know, and and I think the difference you see, Paul, in the translations, say from Pictol to the latest one, is uh, Sheikh Nu Keller's um, oh, yeah. the, the Quran Beheld. I have that and I've read it actually within the last two months. There, and I've completely read it. And and so what you see is you you see exactly the same thing. They're interpreting it according to different tafasir, different understandings, uh, and their own background comes into it, really. Uh, yeah. So it's the meanings of the Quran that you're, uh, you're translating. And of course, the Quran is only ever in Arabic. It's never in a, tr a translation. So your majestic Quran is, strictly speaking, not the actual Quran. It is a translation of the meanings or an interpretation of the meanings and, of the Quran. And, and that is why you can pick it up and read it without wudu. You know, all those conditions yeah. that apply to the Quran don't apply to this. So you can't read this in your salah. You can't say, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, and then say, um, uh, you know, a book in which there is no guidance and a guidance. <laughs> and so yeah, you yeah. can't read that in your salah, yeah. for example. Yeah. Yeah. If eventually yeah. compare that with the coming back to the, the, the Bible again, it used to be thought uh, in Europe that the Greek New Testament, the language the New Testament is written in, was a special kind of Holy Spirit in inspired Greek. That's what they actually thought, because it wasn't like the Greek they knew from Plato and Aristotle and all the ancient Greeks until they realized they discovered because of archaeology, archaeological discoveries that actually the language of the of, of the New Testament is Koine Greek, meaning common Greek is actually the language of the marketplace of the average man <laughs> of the Roman Empire at that time in the first century. Um, so the irony is, it's actually in um, completely uninspired language. It's in very uh, ordinary, everyday market language. And it wasn't a Holy Spirit inspired language. because well, of but, but Paul, that's really strange because Jesus never knew Greek, did he? This is true. He didn't. It's not in the original <laughs> languages. That Neither did Moses. <laughs> Neither <did> Abraham. <laughs> anyway. So that, that, that's a good point. So the reason I'm saying that is because the contrast couldn't be greater. The New Testament is, is in demotic uh, 
uh, Greek, Koine Greek, in other words, the ordinary marketplace language, whereas the Quran is in this, the actual speech of God himself. So, and, and it has its beyond literal interpretation because of its extraordinary profundity and, and many, well, you, you know, much better than I about that. So you can only, tra- as you say, translate the meanings of, or interpret the meanings of it rather than a literal. Yes. Translation. And that is why you're going to see lots of variations because it is an interpretation you know, I, as a somebody who trained as a scientist, mm. you know, grew up in Britain uh, from primary school onward, my way of interpreting some of those um, would be different from the way, for example, say Abdullah Yusuf Ali, who grew up in Bombay uh, in the 19th century uh, yeah. in a very different environment, uh, would be looking at it. Uh, and, 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 um, and, and, and someone like Professor Abdul Halim, who grew up in, uh, on the shores of Nile, <laughs> would be doing it. And, and so I, I think, you know, and, and, and that is a reflection in, in some ways uh, of, of our, the way we're going to present it. And its interpretation, and I think that's very important to be understood. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, on the question of interpretation, can we look at just a couple of uh, passages? Uh, the, the first one, if I may, um, is in one of my favourite surahs, actually, of the Quran, Surah Al Ikhlas. This is the hundred twenty, sorry, the hundred twelfth chapter uh, or surah of the Quran. Um, uh, it's so brief, so I can actually mention uh, everything that you've translated. In the name of God, the kind, the caring. God the one, say he is God the one, God the eternal. He is not a father nor a son. None is equal to him. Incredibly. And it's much more beautiful, of course, in Arabic uh, itself, in the actual language. And we can't do justice to that beauty in, in English, of course. Um, and what struck me, um, ha- having looked at some other translations uh, over the years, is your translation of the third verse, uh, which you've rendered, he is not a father nor a son. And I've not come across this translation or this interpretation of the meanings of the Quran before. Um, and just to give, uh, give us a sense of uh, the, the, not the usual, but the one I'm, I'm more used to, shall we say, I'm um, looking at um, this translation. This is Abdul Halim, um, published by Oxford University Press, and he's a professor here in London of Islamic studies. It's SOAS, actually. And this is seen by many as a kind of a stand, the gold standard in academic uh, study when you look at the English translation of the Quran. And he says in the same chapter, say he is God, the one God, the eternal Samad. He begot no one, nor was he begotten and no one is comparable to him. So the third verse has he begot no one, nor was he begotten. Um, and, I, and I looked up this um, translation in uh, uh, there's a site online where you can look at all the the major English translations uh, by verse. And you can see them all on one page. And I think everyone I saw um, had basically the words, he begot no one, nor was he begotten. Very, very similar wording. So, so yours seemed to be a break with tradition in that sense, if I can put it that way. So what was your understanding? I mean, I'm not in any way criticizing or questioning or translation. That's not my purpose here. It's merely to seek to understand yes. why you... Okay. Uh, well, he was uh, not a father nor a son. I, I think, you know, when they say he begot none, yes, that is already implying that uh, he the parent, the father, okay? So, um, and neither was he begotten. Mm. Begotten means a child. Yes. Okay. So, and I think the the, the surah was revealed really to, um, to really counter the idolatrous belief 
that God does have children. I mean, the, the, the Meccans had an idea of a child, daughter. You know, they said the angels were God's daughters. All right. And that's mentioned again and again in the Quran. And the Quran says, oh, were you there when this happened? <laughs> do, 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 do you know, you know, their sex, in other words? So, uh, so it's really, um, uh, so it's trying to actually counter that notion that somehow he's a father uh, and, 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 uh, and, 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 and he has a child. Okay. And I think by using, he's not a father, is not a, a son. Um, our first and foremost audience here is, of course, the Christian world uh, and, and people who uh, have grown up in that. And there is this um, very, well, the Christian notion of Godfather and, and, and Godson as well. Uh, yeah. And I, I think the Quran is trying to counter that. And I, I thought it's a real <clears throat> direct interpretation of, you know, Lam Yalid and Lam Yulad. So I, I think this is a much direct and if you look at, uh, you know, most of their notes would footnotes would say uh, he's not a father, he's not a son. So mm-hmm. I thought it's just best to actually put it there and help the, the reader. What, why, why, why does the, the reader need to know he's not begotten uh, and, and, and neither, neither begets nor begotten? Mm. It's a very, I think it's a poor way of saying the same thing. He's not a father, he's not a son. Mm. So I, I just went for the direct plain as i say after all i'm trying to do a plain english and i think this is a plain english interpretation he's not a father he's not a son yeah no uh, that, that makes a lot of sense it was just uh, what interests me uh some months ago i, I was reading some western scholars angela newworth who's a very prominent uh german german uh, scholar yes. of the quran uh, and she wrote a monograph an article uh, and other scholars have and on this very on this very chapter of the quran and and, and she saw uh, significant parallels between what the Quran is stating. Uh, it is refuting a Christian creed, Akida, found in Nicaea, for example, the idea of the son being begotten of the father. And so she, sh- she saw here a very uh, a piece of kind of precision theology where the Quran was very carefully referencing, perhaps indirectly. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. The Christian creeds and critiquing them. Uh, the, the notion of the son being begotten of the eternal. I think that was back of, of my mind because in 1975, Paul, I did my GCSE O-Levels. Right. RE O-Levels in those days was the study of the synoptic gospels. Oh, lovely, yeah. Uh, and I, and, and it was, subjects. Oh, and it was, you know, you, you had to study the four gospels. 
yeah. you know, from beginning to end. And um, so this idea of father, the son, a father, a God, the father, the God, the son was a something hammered home day in and day out. And I think that would have been one of the reasons why I, I thought, you know, it's much better to go direct to the meaning, which would be relevant to our d- direct readers. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you. Well, the, the other passage um, I, I wanted just to um, talk about is a much more, well, I was going to say controversial. It's controversial in the West in our modern kind of uh, context. Um, and it's uh, quite a famous verse uh, beginning in the fourth surah, verse 34. Yes. Um, uh, and uh, the way you uh, interpreted this or translated this is very, very interesting. And also your your footnote. And I think this is one of the uh, the, the the attractive strengths of your uh, translation slash interpretation is that you do provide very uh, concise and helpful footnotes to help to contextualize and understand the verses uh, further. So I'll just, if I may, just read this verse. This is the fourth surah, verse 34. And you've headed it, dealing with marital discord. In other words, dealing with marriages where there's conflict, I guess. And you say, uh, you translate, men are guardian carers of women, God granted some more favours than others because they spend money on their wives. Honourably acting wives are uh, pious and they guard their chastity as God expects them to guard it. Those whose ill conduct, and there's a footnote, you are afraid of, first gently warn them, then leave them alone in the bed and for a while live separately from them. If all else fails, apply a minimum of force on them. If after taking these steps, they obey you, then don't behave unjustly in any way against them. God is most high, the great. And that's a fascinating uh, translation uh, of a well-known uh, passage. And um, the, well, what I just wanted to focus on a little bit, of course, uh, by, by referencing Halim's translation or alternative translation as well, is the, uh, the phrase, um, apply a minimum of force on them. And um, there's a footnote to this, uh, which I'll read, which I think is very helpful. There is an, an alternative meaning of the word, and then you give the Arabic, which perhaps you can explain, apply force on them. When asked to explain this phrase, the prophet, upon whom be peace, took his miswak, which you say a teeth cleaning twig, a, rad- a traditional alternative to the modern toothbrush. And the prophet then lightly prodded the companion, sat next to him a purely symbolic act, like not sharing the bed, which represents the husband's displeasure, but does not cause any physical harm. Violence of any kind against women is forbidden. So I think that's a very helpful uh, paragraph there. And, and before I, I ask you just to comment on your translation of this, apply a minimum of force on them, which again, I'm not in any way disputing or disagreeing with. That's not the point of me highlighting it. It's just to uh, notice the... Uh, other translations of the meaning. So back to uh, Halim again in his uh, translation. I won't read the whole thing, but uh, in the um, if you fear high handedness from your wives, he translates, remind them of the teachings of God, then ignore them in bed, then hit them. And he puts a, 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 um, a note. This signifies a single slap, as is clear from the circumstances of the revelation of this verse. And he says, see Abdul Halim understanding the Quran pages 46 to 54, a book I've got. And he does really go into some detail into the, into the interpretation of this text. So um, I, I guess uh, what we're going to ask is fairly obvious. Uh, Halim has, he hit them or he struck them in some sense. And, and you, you have uh, the more 
um, interesting phrase, a minimum of physical force, but violence of any kind. So it's much more symbolic. You mentioned the miswax. You bring in the traditions about the prophets, his teaching, to interpret and contextualize perhaps the teaching of that ayat. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting. Yadribu <laughs> is a very famous verse, which one of the, one of the meanings of it is actually to strike, to hit. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 um, but I, I think what we need to understand is, um, first of all, very, very clearly, the Prophet forbade any kind of violence against women. We know from Aisha radiallahu anha, his wife, saying that the Prophet وسلم, never lifted his hand against anyone. Okay, right. N- not his wife, certainly. Okay, uh, and, and uh, once when Umar, uh, whose daughter Hafsa was married to the Prophet, was very angry with his daughter for demanding too much from the Prophet, wanted to go and, he, he was about to go and beat her, and the Prophet said, no way, Umar, you dare touch her, okay? So we know that the Prophet never, you know, advocated, never used violence, never struck, never beat. And I think what we need to also understand, uh, Paul, is, the idea that, you know, we can't use corporal punishment mm. uh, in our schools, we can't use corporal punishment elsewhere. This is a very new British and perhaps I, I think in America now and some parts of Europe, it might be. It's a new, it's only about two, three uh, decades ago. I remember in primary school, we used to get pumped. <laughs> you know, well, we what, had kids. What, what, what was that? What's pumped mean? Just... Pumped mean the, 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 you know, the teacher used to get the pump, the pump, the shoes, you know, the trainers, oh. old trainers. And old you, trainers. Yes. You used to whack you what, on the legs. Whack, yeah. Yes, on the bum. <laughs> you know, and and then in you know I remember the teach a head teacher uh, uh, you know had the right to use the cane and they did use it cane you know. Yes. So um, and and um, and and in, in most of the eastern part of the world it it, uh, it it's still used and and I'm not saying I know I'm, I'm not saying we should bring back corporal punishment but I think what we need to understand is. These are very modern ways, uh, and that modern ways does not mean it's the best and it's the only way, and we are the most civilized people either, okay? I think that's really important to understand that. Uh, And and so um, what the Quran is, and and when the Prophet himself said, you know, uh, if if you haven't understood this, well, this is what it is. Miswak is a small twig which you use for cleaning teeth, okay? Toothbrush, effectively, okay? How much harm can you do? It's a symbolic way of showing annoyance and perhaps putting some kind of, uh, showing, you know, some people understand that kind of way. Uh, And and, and I think, I, I don't think there is really, you cannot accuse the Quran of, um, you know, um, uh, advocating, um, uh, you know, uh, wife beating whatsoever. It really is, is very opposite of that. It's taking mm-hmm. all the precautions. Uh, but what it is interested in is is in family peace uh, and, and, and uh, people living together uh, happily. Uh, that is what Islam is about. And I think it's really important to understand this, you know. In, in, in a, we live in a society where now motherhood is despised. Marriage is a, under attack as an amazing institution. Mm-hmm. And yet mm-hmm. research after research is showing that marriage is one of the best ways of living happily. 
uh, and it's the best way to and, live. And, and having a mother, sorry to be uh, interrupt you, but having a mother and father is important. I, I, that, that sounds like a radically subversive, <laughs> anti-woke statement to make. I mean, oh, yeah, it is the most natural, obvious thing to say. Well, you ask any policeman, you yeah. ask the police people, police, and they'll tell you how yeah. important it is to have parents because yeah. who's getting into trouble? People exactly. who are, do not have that. And you go and ask people who are doing, who have adopted or fostered people. You know, they also say, my goodness, why, you know? Uh, uh, yes, we are, we, are, we are trying to be good to these, but we cannot replace the natural biological mother and father. You mm. cannot. So I think, uh, yes, I, I think we need to look at the bigger picture rather than just take one <laughs> word out of Absolutely. But I just wanted to, because this, this verse is occasionally used as, a, as, a, as a, ironically as a stick to beat uh, Muslims with, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, uh, in, in, uh, in the West. And uh, yes, yes. I think a, a bit of education and context, obviously, yes, is that, yes. uh, a different understanding. Well, thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> That's a good, a good choice. Yeah. So, um, so just a, a more general question: How has your translation been received by Muslim readers? You know, I, I, I it, it might feel too sort of, uh, you know, people might think I'm boasting, and may Allah protect us from boasting. Or, you know, I, I think one just needs to go on to Amazon and and just look at nearly 500 ecstatic reviews. Wow. You know? And and I get literally, I get reviews and people sending me testimonies, I don't know, two or three a week easily. Right. You know, and, and, and I get amazing kind of phone calls from people you wouldn't believe, you know, and people who, you know, they say, well, you know, we've read your Quran and we just wanted to say thank you. How it's for first time I have been able to read the Quran from cover to cover. Wow. Uh, and, and I get, we have lots of testimonies, literally hundreds. I think now it would be in thousands, you know, seriously, the ones which we have. So it's been extremely well received and uh, because it's presented in a beautiful way, simple, and it's presented in a way that, you know, young people are used to reading. You know, our textbooks usually have two or three headings on each page. And I try to replicate that so they don't feel it's not alien. Uh, You know, it's something which, you know, they can identify with. Um, And... um, you know, we've uh, we've we've got an app of it. We've got audio book of it. We've got a Kindle of it. Uh, we have a paperback. We have a hardback, mm. and we've sold altogether more than hundred and fifty thousand so yeah. far in less than three years. Alhamdulillah. So we're really I'm grateful to Allah. You know, and I think um, we don't need to say any more. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. people are enjoying it, and I've I've had the best professors of Islamic studies and Arabic <laughs> telling me. They enjoy reading it. Right. Uh, I have some scholars who say, well, you know, on Fridays I use this as my, you know, preferred translation to present from. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we have children, we have young parents, we have all sorts of, mashallah, you know, a lot. Mm. It, it's, mm. No, it's been received extremely well. It's yeah. just beyond our uh, expectations. And you, um, so if people want to get hold of a copy, I mean, you have your own personal website, you can get it on Amazon, of course, but do you have a preferred way that people should access the uh, the, the translation for themselves. You know, Paul, bookshops aren't get very popular these days, although there are, we've got, uh, I don't know, nearly a dozen or so stockists all over the country. Right. Uh, but the best way is really through uh, ordering it through our website. 
Uh, and there's several other eBay people who are also selling it, some other stockists and agents in different countries as well, South Africa, America, Canada, uh, and other parts of the world. Uh, and um, we still need to develop. So we need help with, uh, you know, we haven't done that all that well. What is really very sad is we, we, we've not been able to get the mainstream to even review it. Mm. And I understand I've been told that you can't get it reviewed like this. This is a closed industry. You have to go through certain channels <laughs> and, and there's a way of doing it, which is, I, I don't know what channel, if, if anybody knows, uh, you know, because I think it needs to be reviewed in Times um, Literary Supplement. It needs to be reviewed in Guardian. It needs to be reviewed in all the um, mainstream um, media, to be honest. And so if anybody knows how we go about it, please let us know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the Guardian. I mean, you know, it's a fairly left-leaning, militantly secular, woke paper um, read by millions. But they might not naturally want to review a book which is so out of keeping with their work. I think when they talk about Muslims, it's it's a kind of the liberal approach where we will seek to protect their rights and so on, but not take any interest in what they actually believe. You know, well, they I thought they believed in freedom of speech and everybody has, is free to express themselves. And uh, yes. Well, I have, there is actually one review which I, I'd like to just to read out by Professor Abu uh, Abu Sulaim, uh, who wrote who wrote the following in the Muslim World Book Review. And I looked him up, and he's a very distinguished uh, scholar. And he 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 writes about your uh, translation, obviously uh, this book. One recent welcome trend in the field of English translations of the Quran is the appearance of reader-friendly renderings, which, apart from using simple English, seek also to relate the meaning and the message of the Quran to our time. So he's referencing here exactly your philosophy. Um, and then he says, Ahmad Zaki Hamad's and Mustafa Katab's translations, two other translations, typify this valuable approach, he writes. Uh, Musharraf Hussein's venture is the latest addition to this new category. His extensive experience of teaching the Quran in the UK appears to have prompted him to provide the Quranic guidance in a reader-friendly format. Again, coming back to this format again. As a result, far from delving into the finer points of tafsir, circumstantial setting, history, and geography and jurisprudence, etc., he is concerned more with the Quranic lessons which he deduces from the contents of the surahs. And I think that that is a fair summary of the distinctive uh, methodology and philosophy that you have with the Quran. Well, yes, that was one of the first I think, reviews that came out in the Muslim book review. Uh, and then, oh, I, I really, I, I shouldn't, I, I should have actually said that. RE Today, which is one of the um, uh, religious education's uh, sort of magazine of, for the teachers, they also, mashallah, reviewed it. And, and in fact, they carried an inter interview with me. That was wow. about two years ago as well. That wow. was very helpful. That's about the only mainstream uh, as far as I, I could get. <laughs> yes. That's very strange because you know, Islam represents the, the faith of, 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 of 1.9 billion Muslims in the world. And, you know, English is the lingua franca, the, the kind of dominant language for many, uh, or, or the second language for many people in the world. And yet the, the, the very book that Muslims turn to is not taken seriously when new translations like this mm -hmm. come out. And I think this is um, a, a, a somewhat unfortunate um, uh, uh, omission from Western media broadcast uh, preoccupations are much more concerned with economics or 
political conflict. But but this actually is you know the beating heart of the Muslim world. And yes, it, it 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 seems to get ignored, and that that's part of the problem of the West. It doesn't really take an interest in other people so much. Well, what we are doing. One thing that has this has prompted me and our group to do is. Uh, we are inshallah going to be distributing one million copies. Wow! <laughs> we have we call wow. this motivator million. Now this paperback. The reason is this, uh, Paul. Um, I, I really believe that uh, here in UK, in particular, we have a very reasonable um, people who are um, um, you know ignorant and of of Islam and of Muslims. Yet they live close to us. Yeah, uh, but we haven't really engaged them. Uh, we haven't really uh, shared our faith with them, um, let alone giving them Quran. And yeah. I think you know they're good readers. I'm, I'm really talking about sort of manager levels, directors, the councillors, the MPs, the leaders in the public sector, in the private sector, uh, and in in charity sector. If we can actually give a Quran to them. I really believe, you know, at, at least it's, it's an easy way of, in a way, engaging with a very important group of people who are always dealing with Muslims. They're legislating about Muslims. They're doing something about Muslims. They're in touch. Uh, last week on Wednesday, uh, we gave out 50 Qurans to Brockstock Council. Mm-hmm. And each, I, so I was very fortunate. They inv- I, I was able to attend their assembly. And say they were asked me to say a few words. You know, the, the, at the beginning they have a prayer, so they asked me to do uh, say a few words, mm-hmm. uh, and and then we distributed the Quran. They were really fascinated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, you know, they kept on asking so many questions, and and, and I think they're, they're going to be inviting me again because they're so interested. We did the same with Nottingham councillors, and we also distributed fifteen hundred to the Houses of Parliament, to the uh, Lords and the MPs. Mm-hmm. That was just before Christmas. And I've got, I've had an amazing response. Um, it's not obvious. I mean, this is amazing what you're doing. I mean, it's such a, in a sense, an obvious thing. I'm surprised it's not done, be- not been done before, but seemingly not. I mean, this, this is a, a pioneering effort to bedour, basically, I suppose, uh, to spread understanding of, uh, of the Quran. But, um, well, well, fascinating. You mentioned a million. So how's that going to work? I mean, Who's going to be the recipients of a million Qurans? Yes, that is going to be. Yes, it's a challenging project. And um, we're uh, actually, I, I think it, the way we're looking at it is this, Paul. So we've got four sectors, actually. So mm. it's the public sector. So you're looking at the NHS, the directors, the managers, the doctors, the nurses, the um, and how are we going to get it there through, um, you know, through their chaplaincy, uh, through Muslim doctors, through managers there. Right. Uh, and then, of course, you've got in the public sector, you've got the schools and colleges and universities, a very big sector, really. Uh, and then you've got the um, uh, prisons. We've already given about 3,000 to prisons. Wow. And, and I, 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 I gave a talk actually on Saturday to the Muslim Chaplains Association and all of them were saying, when are we going to get our copies? Yeah. We've not had them. So, yeah. yes, there is a, it, and, and it's just really getting the logistics of it now. We're looking for a good manager to come and help us to do that. Uh, we're raising funds for it as well. Um, but I, 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 I see, and for the councils, I'm beginning to see people saying in different towns, there's somebody in, up in the north who says he's going to help us with making sure that they distribute them to all the Lancashire uh, councils. Somebody down in London said that all the boroughs in London will be taken care of. Wow. I think, you know, 
and and w- one other thing that we will be doing through this, of course, we will be giving it to our uh, uh, dear neighbors and our uh, wonderful uh, public servants and 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 um, you know directors and uh, owners of private companies. But also, I hope what it will do is it, it would also make Muslims recognize and truly, you know, believe that this book is a life changer. Mm-hmm. I think for a long time, I think we've never appreciated this, you know, mm-hmm. that this is a book that actually does change lives. Mm-hmm. It does change lives. Mm-hmm. It has the power of changing and influencing our attitudes and then of course our behaviors the way we live our lives mm-hmm. and you know the, the the brits are really good readers they like reading books if you give them as a gift they like that so i think we've got something amazing but first i hope it will also raise the profile of the quran amongst the muslims who sadly you know the profess we profess profoundly and uh, again and again oh yeah this is amazing but no, we don't actually practice it. We don't really believe it. If we did really believe it, why aren't you reading it? Why aren't you studying it? Why don't you know the theme of even one single surah, my dear brother mm. and sister? Mm. Come on. <laughs> you know, this is how poor it is. You know, the Quran literacy amongst Muslims is so poor. And I think one of the reasons has been these translations, which were in archaic old English, poorly presented. The versification has been a real problem as well. So I hope, you know, we can change that. But coming back to this Motivator Million, you, you said, how will you do this? It's a very big, it is, alhamdulillah, it's a big. And uh, and the other big part of it is, I think, nearly a quarter of a million Muslim students in universities and colleges. Right. You know, these are very important uh, people who desperately need guidance. They might not go to the Imam Sahib in the mosque. They might not go to the Islamic center. They won't go to any teacher. But I'll tell you, you know, inshallah, if they are believers and they say, well, I want to know what my God is saying to me. Mm-hmm. And this is the beauty of the Quran. You know, we are not supposed to read the Quran as a book. We are supposed to actually um, experience it as God's Speaking to me. Yes, exactly. I know some Christians actually do talk a lot about that idea, you know. But, you know, Alama Iqbal, Alama Iqbal, the great poet of of India and and great philosopher of East, you know, he said uh, that my father used to always say to me, Iqbal, don't just read the Quran. Believe and think that God is speaking to you directly. Mm -hmm. And that is precisely what the Quran is doing. It is speaking to you directly without the medium of the priest, without the medium of the teacher, without the medium of that imam. Mm. And you don't need those mediums. You go directly. So these people, inshallah, you know, young Muslims who want to know what God is saying to them, uh, and they are lost. You know, they need that guidance. They will come to it as well. So we need to give them as well. So, yes, it's going to be a real challenge, but I think one which is doable. And, you know, uh, Paul, the um, Bible, I think it's about 4 4 million are distributed annually. Now, that's a big, big number, which, you know, people like Scottish Bible Society and other Bible societies do, they distribute these millions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and through these, they are getting big conversion, really, um, in Bangladesh, in Pakistan, in 
Nigeria, all over the world. This is their first and foremost uh, tool uh, of evangelizing. And uh, Muslims actually don't use the Quran. Uh, I, I don't know why, because when the Makkans came to the Prophet, وسلم, the first thing he would do to them is read the Quran. For example, you know, when Walid ibn Maghira came to him, he would read that to him. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they would be mesmerized. They would be, you know, and, and they would feel that this is the book of God. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know why we are not using it. So I think it's a great tool. But through it, I hope to do something else, uh, Paul. You know, we often talk about Islamophobia, mm. the dread of Muslims, the people don't like us. Uh, you know, there's a hate against Muslims. Well, what are you going to do about it? We've got to help our neighbors. You know, they are being misinformed by certain newspapers and media. Our job is to make sure that, you know, we inform them of, we give them the right message about ourselves. We need to tell them, <laughs> look, this is what we believe. You know, I, I, I'll tell you, there is nothing embarrassing in the Quran, to be honest. Mm. There is nothing. It is beautiful. It is God speaking directly. And I think the British people are ready to receive this amazing message and they'll benefit from it hugely. And we will benefit in the sense we'll have friends, <laughs> many more friends. And if they don't convert, I'll tell you, they become friends. And that is what we want. We want friends uh, with our neighbors. You know, why should we have, you know, when we walk out and, and our neighbor stares at us or we don't like them? Why? You know, we shouldn't have that. And this will be, an, so that there's another project within this, which is, you know, gift for my neighbor, yeah. gift for my city. So but, inshallah, but, but, I, I think people ready. will do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I, I see that. And it is, it is uh, physically picking up a, a copy of this and leafing through it. You know, there's nothing here that will put off your average kind of non-Muslim British person, I think, or anyone else. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's quite accessible. It's reader-friendly. Um, the font is readable you know it, it, it's quite a, a pleasant experience to just as a, a physical object to browse through uh, and just to dip into and and and, and the message is also very um, you know it doesn't just influence through fear the quran does not you know you can't you can't uh, you know allege and accuse the quran of just uh, you know spreading fear of god no 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 no, there is a lot of reason. In fact, there is more reason and science in it and, and uh, drawing our attention to the beauty of the nature. It, mm. it, mm. it tries to convince us, you know, why don't you look at the beauty of the nature? Who's its designer? Who's the creator? Who's yeah. the one who fashioned it like this? Who developed it like this? Okay. And, and what is your conclusion? You've got to come to the conclusion there is a designer because there's a design, there's a creation there. There must be a creator. There is a beautiful painting out there. There must be a great painter out there. So, and, and, and you know, why, no, I was just saying that that's why the Quran is ever fresh and relevant in that particular regard, because the, the, the amazing discoveries of science, which, you know, are, are uncovering at a very small level and a very big level, the recent uh, uh, photographs of the universe, of the cosmos that were revealed through through NASA. Uh, th th these all speak very powerfully. These are ayat, these are signs that speak to uh, humanity of uh, an intelligence uh, creator behind or beyond what we can just see with our, our eyes. And the Quran endlessly reiterates this very point. So it, it's yeah. it, in our science-obsessed age, 
um, the Quran still has a very powerful voice. Absolutely. To that very I, experience of the universe. You know, uh, um, Paul, there are many beautiful, powerful verses. And let me just share one of them, which is in Surah Al-Hadid, the Ayat. Now, in there is a verse, very famous verse, inna, um, in nah um, we sent down the iron, which is hard and it has many benefits for people. Mm. And, you know, when you look at old translation, even my own teacher's translation in Urdu is, he translates, we anzalna, which means we sent down. He translates it as, we created it. And when you look at all the other tafasir, they all say, Anzalna here equals khalakna. We created it. Well, you know, in, in, in modern astronomy has now proven that all the elements on earth, from iron to cobalt, from magnesium to calcium, from sodium to uh, molybdenum, all of these are stardusts. Wow. They were created up in the stars mm -hmm. and came down onto the earth as meteorites, comets. You know, they're, they're external. They're not actually here. They came down. Now, what do you say to that? You know, there are at least six of the words the Quran ha could have used for creation, for making, to manufacture. Ja'alna, khalakna, and, and ansha'na. Uh, it could have used any of those words. Why did it choose anzalna? Extraordinary, extraordinary. We sat down. <laughs> and there is another one about when, it, when the Quran is talking about the, 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 the skies and the heavens and the stars. It says, And we are the expanders. Right. Yasir means actually to expand. And what are the signs? It's only quite a recent discovery that the universe is expanding. expanding. Mm -hmm. Now, you can't actually say, oh, this is just a coincidence. No, it can't be coincidence because there are several other more important words that could have been used there for, you know, talking about the heavens and the earth. Why does God use that? Mm -hmm. And the other day I was reading in Surah Al-A'la, you know, Allah says, you know, He created you and perfected you, made you wholesome, symmetrical, perfect, you know, and, and, and good in that sense. And then did your taqdeer, your dest destiny, and provided you the guidance. And it's really interesting that in the idea of qaddara, qaddara actually means to measure precisely, precisely accurately. Taqdeer comes from that. You know, we say we have a taqdeer. What that means is that Allah has measured everything that we are to receive in a accurate, precise measure. You know, if you're going to be living 90 years, he knows it's, it's, it's prescribed. This is 90 years. And that is how much is going to consume of, uh, of, of energy. This is what is going to consume of, uh, you know, the other nutrients. This is what is going to consume of the energy and, and everything. That is taqdeer. And, and, and again, uh, for example, Fakhruddin Razi, the medieval um, the 13th century great commentator, writes that qaddara means 
Allah has given us and he knows how much sustenance, provision for us, our age and our choices. He knows all that. And in the footnotes I have now recently put in my fourth edition is that could this be the genome? Mm. <laughs> because the genome, you know, the 25,000 genes mm. in the genome actually determine my height, my color, yeah. my age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they do all that. <laughs> anyway, that's a, again, you know, trying to understand the Quran in, in modern ways, uh, which is quite legitimate. One thing I've, I've uh, you know, I, I use three very important principles in maintaining orthodoxy. And I believe that, you know, we shouldn't interfere with our belief system whatsoever. Not an iota change in my creed. We are following what is absolutely required of a Muslim to believe as our great teachers did. So we, we have no, uh, you know, no comments to make on our creed whatsoever. Similarly, with our jurisprudence and with our laws, no, that is the job of our jurists, and they've done a fantastic job of that. Mm. And, and thirdly, with regards to the moral lessons with stories, um, you know, we have and, and with uh, incidences of this kind and, 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 and um, archaeological, historical events, you know, we have the freedom to uh, interpret them without being cultish. I mean, I'm a really important, I, I think. We, we don't need to be cultish about it, uh, but we need to be uh, as, as scientific and objective about it as possible within the light of proper science I'm talking about, okay? And, and give evidence for it. And we can say this could be a meaning, not that it is the meaning, it could be, uh, and, 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 and presented as, a, as, as, an, as, as an way of, like this I've done with genome, for example, or in, in the Surah Al-Hadid about the iron. Uh, and there are many other amazing you know, places. Uh, yes, so the Quran is really a living book, uh, open to, uh, you know, and I, it seems as though God left these points in there, for us in the, 15, in the 15th century or the 21st century to be able to, uh, you know, see this amazing book as, as, as his oh, gift you, you to us. The, yes, you mentioned the expanding universe. You mentioned uh, iron being sent down to us. Um, and we could talk about the you know, living things made out of water, another extraordinary, um, you know, how could a 7th century Arab possibly know that, you know, it's, um, there any Categorically, yeah. you know, it says, very, you know, we made everything, we made every living thing from water. Yes, yes. <laughs> so accurately as well. Obvious. <laughs> so <it's> not obvious. <laughs> yes. um, are there any other examples? That, um, of, I, I don't want to use explain. I don't want to use the expression scientific miracles in the Quran. I think that can be overdone. And oh, uh, yes. And you can see things that are not really there because you want to see yes. black holes and whatever. But, <laughs> but I, I think um, some people have, but there are perhaps more mainstream, sensible uh, examples, the ones you've mentioned, of course. But are there any other ones that we... I think there's about a dozen or so ones I actually, as a scientist, uh, you know, you know, a lot of non-scientific non Muslim scholars have actually said lots of nonsense <laughs> about, you know, science in Quran, to be honest. Uh, but uh, as a scientist, uh, you know, I, I do see those things. Uh, and the, uh, so there's good dozen or so, very, very powerful. And you then say, my goodness, you know, this is, you know, really Allah telling us, speaking to us uh, in, in our 21st century and saying, well, reflect on this. Okay. okay can you give uh, another um, example? So you mentioned a couple already uh, of these. Well, the, the, the other one is about the... Um, 
you know the Maraj al Bahrain yaltaqiyan bainahuma barzakh. This is really interesting. One, the Quran talks about you know when two seas meet or two oceans meet or when the river. Um, meets the sea in a tributary, or or or, and and there is always an amazing kind of barrier between the two waters. Okay, and that's of course a well-known scientific sort of uh, the, um, phenomenon. What hap- what's happening is the fresh water mm. from the rivers when it meets the the uh, saline uh, water, the, uh, the the dense water uh, of the sea. They don't. It doesn't just mix like that. Okay. There's but always a barrier. You, you thought a, a casual observer like me would think, oh, of course, it's just water is water is water. It's all going to just flow into each other and mix up. But in fact, that's not the case. And, and the no. Quran points this out, and this has been confirmed by science, as you say. Yeah, and, and there are many big, you know, really, and, and and there are places, for example, the Indian Ocean meeting the Atlantic, for example. Mm. You know, it doesn't just meet like that. There is a barzakh in it, and the, the, you know, the really interesting question there is. Rasulullah never actually went on a ship. <laughs> so how would he know this? He never, I, I, I don't know whether he would have seen any rivers in, 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 in Arabia. I mean, he, he, we know he traveled to Syria a few times, but whether he would have seen th- that kind of, so where that again shows, you know, that this is a divine, you know, revelation. So that, that barzakh, the idea of barzakh and mentioning it so accurately, actually. And why does it point out? Because it says this is a sign as though uh, the Quran says, well, there, there will come people who would want to know these kind of things. And for them, we are leaving signs so that they, they will believe in it as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's many more wonders. Inshallah, perhaps, you know, we could certainly, I'd be delighted to do a whole p- program on, you know, how... Well, yeah, that, that would be very interesting. Really, I, I think we do need to now because people... You know, uh, believe in medicine and science. Those are the two most uh, trusted uh, scientists and and doctors are the most trusted professions in the world. So, yes, perhaps we need to show how beautiful, you know, the Quran is. And with medicine, you know, it's really interesting because the Quran also claims to be a medicine. It says that, you know, Ya yuhannas qad jaatkum maw'izatum min rabbikum wa shifa'un lima fissudur. You know, people, to you has come a beautiful instructions from your Lord, beautiful teachings from your Lord, mm-hmm. and a medicine for the sicknesses of heart and mind. Mm-hmm. And we do have sickness. We do have a medicine in the Quran for the sicknesses of heart and mind. What does that mean? For this, that means for dis- for depression, for anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, for loneliness, uh, for other mental problems. Is Quran. Is one of the best texts for our well-being. In fact, for helping us to live a flourishing life, to be honest. Mm. Okay. Well, that's perhaps a, a lovely uh, point to uh, conclude um, a discussion of that. And um, I'll leave a, a link in the below, uh, in the description below, to uh, this book, The Majestic Quran, Guidance and Good News for the Mindful, which I think is uh, a very attractively produced uh, and very accessible uh, English translation of the meanings of the uh, Quran. So, uh, thank you very much uh, indeed, Dr. Hussein, because uh, you are a scientist yourself uh, by training. Um, thank you very much for your uh, time and your um, expertise. Um, and um, that's great. Maybe uh, one day, inshallah, uh, you can come back and talk about the, the scientific signs in the Quran. Uh, and that would be hugely interest- interesting, I think, as well. 
Thank you very much, Paul. God bless you and give you the strength to carry on your blogging theology. Inshallah. Thank you very much. Till next time. Goodbye. Assalamu Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.